You are listening to episode 45 of the Live Free Podcast. Welcome to the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Quinn, and I am a mom on a mission to help you launch, grow, and scale a profitable freelance business from home. Join me each week for tangible business advice along with inspiring interviews, all designed to help you mom strong, work smart, and live free. If you are loving this podcast, finding yourself motivated or inspired, learning something new, or just a fan of the show, do me a favor and help me spread the message. Screenshot the episode, add it to your Insta stories, and tag me at Michaela.Quinn. Every share helps me reach more and more moms, and I may just share your share and feature you in my Insta stories too, because together we can take over the world. All right, mama, it's time. Grab your coffee, water, or wine because we are starting. Hey friend, is Monday your favorite day of the week? It's mine. There's just something awesome about a new podcast going live plus a fresh week to accomplish all your goals and get things done. Am I right? Anyways, today is a super special day as always. Today on the podcast, I chat with blogging powerhouse Monica Froze. Monica is a mom, wife, and Pinterest marketing expert. She has an MBA degree in finance and marketing, and she blogs at Redefining Mom, a site for helping moms thrive in both motherhood and business. In 2015, she traveled to the White House to discuss family-friendly workplace policies with the President Obama's senior advisor and has been featured on social media outlets, including Fox News, Scary Mommy, Healthline, and Mom Talk Radio. She provides online marketing education to professional moms who are looking to build profitable blogs through effective sales funnels and Pinterest traffic, both free and paid. Now, in our conversation, we dive into how Monica built her blog into a profitable business. And by profitable, guys, I mean to the tune of multiple six figures in 2018 alone. Now, even if you are not interested in blogging, you do not want to miss this interview because her story is just another example of what opportunities are out there for women, especially moms in the online space. And Monica is a mom after my own heart who wants to use her knowledge and experience to help other moms live a life of freedom. And I can't wait to dive in. So what do you say? Let's go meet Monica. Monica, welcome to the Live Free Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am. I mean, I say this every single time, but I really, truly am so excited to have you on and just dive into your story and how you went from corporate America to blogging to this, like to the White House, to online (laughs) course creator and just sharing your journey and your story plus your wisdom with with all of my moms. So I I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. So it's a wild journey. (laughs) Yeah. So to start, I would just love if you could spend some time just telling us more about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Okay. So my name is Monica Froze and my website is redefiningmom.com. Soon to probably be branched off into more than one brand. (laughs) You know, when you start this crazy business, it's amazing how fast it can really grow. And I've only been blogging for money for three years at this point. So it's crazy that we're actually to the point where we might be more than one brand soon. But the way it started was 
I started Redefining Mom in July of 2013 when my first daughter was nine months. Mm -hmm. So I was suffering from postpartum PTSD, but did not know it at the time. Mm -hmm. I was 27 when I had her, very career focused. I had finished my MBA two years before that. And it sort of, when I had her, I felt like my career was intersecting at that point where I had to start traveling in my field. I was in tech and traveling was super important to be able to climb the career ladder. And it seemed like everything happened at once and I was very ill-prepared for it. I also felt like no one really shared the realities of what motherhood was like, but also come to find out that the reason motherhood seemed a little bit more difficult for me was because I was suffering from postpartum and didn't know it. So I started my blog to really vent about some of the things I was having troubles with, which were, I was very upset about the lack of maternity leave Mm -hmm. in the US, like very, very upset about that. And I worked for a very large fortune 100 and I come to find out through a lot of research I was in the top 7% of benefits that people were afforded in the United States. So that meant that I got 66.5% of my pay for eight of the 12 weeks that I took off. I had the federal protection of my job, at least, even though I didn't get paid through the the feds because there's no federal level maternity leave. I still had job protection. I found out that 25% of working moms go back to work after two weeks, and I was completely appalled by this. And I thought, why? And then I started searching things like, how do I handle working full time and having a baby? Like, how do I do this? Because I just looked around and it seemed like everyone I worked with that was a mom had it together. And I didn't. And I only had one. Some of these women had like three or four. I'm like, what is wrong with me? So I Googled and couldn't find answers. So naturally, I'm like, I'm going to start a blog. I had no idea what a blog was. I mean, I knew what a blog was, but I did not know what I was getting myself into. Like within probably two weeks of researching it, I was like, what is this? And back in 2013, there was a real lack of education on how to get started. Like now, I mean, you start, you Google how to start a blog and you're going to get pages and pages of good resources that are free. And there was nothing like that. So I ended up hiring someone to get the website up and running. And then I just didn't have time to invest in it. So two more years went by. I had gotten a few more promotions. I was traveling a lot, still very stressed out. Finally got diagnosed with postpartum, started treating that. So I I started going to a therapist who was fabulous and really helped me work through all those problems. And then (laughs) the funny thing is I got an email to my blog email I say that with air quotes, like blog email, because I didn't even have my domain name for my blog email. Because it was just like a side thing when I had time. And it was from the White House. And I thought, well, that's funny. The White House doesn't email people, especially to their Gmail. So I, I put it in spam and didn't think anything of it. And I happened to be at lunch with a coworker. And I was like, so I got this email. I was laughing about it, about this event at the White House. And she's like, are you going? And I was like, oh, it's got to be a joke. She's like, you might want to make sure it's a joke before you just dismiss it. I was like, all right. So what do you do? I called the White House. Like, that's a thing. You can call the White House. So I called the White House. Who answers? And, well, it's a switchboard. I okay. got a switchboard. I explained I got an email, who I got the email from. I mean, the email had a signature and stuff like that. And it was a .gov email. So it probably should have flagged me that maybe it was legit. It was legit. After getting routed like two or three times, I finally got the girl who emailed me. And she's like, oh, Yeah. So the reason she found me was because she was looking for 
her term, press to cover this working families event. I'm like, press, what are you talking about? You know, like this is like I blog on the side and basically I don't blog because who has time for that? Right. And she's like, no, I think I, I, you know, I read some of your articles. I think you'd be a great fit. And when you go to the White House, you're not told anything before arriving because the president, you don't even know if he's there because that would be like a security breach. So we get there, we got put in a room, locked down for like eight hours, basically told by Secret Service, if you leave, you will not come back because we have no idea when the president will or will not show up. And it was when President Obama was our president. And so I ended up hearing him talk and then I got invited into the West Wing. And that's really one thing I, and I did not expect this. I did not know this was going to happen. So we got brought into the West Wing with the Marines stationed outside and we signed in and President Obama comes up and introduces himself and is like, hi, I'm Barack. I'm like, oh, duh. Hey there, real quick interruption from me, Michaela Quinn. Anyways, I wanted to make sure that you knew that we just added a 12-month payment plan to our program, the Live Free Academy. You can enroll and get started today for just $147. If you go to go.michaelaquinn.com or just head to the show notes on this episode, we've got it linked there as well. You can read all the details and click one of the buttons to go enroll. And on there, you'll see the 12-month payment plan option. When you choose the 12-month payment plan option, you get the entire course the second you enroll. We don't hold anything back because you're on a payment plan. You'll get access to the how to build your business from start to finish course, skills training, the job leads board, the coaching calls, the student community Facebook group, and everything else that is a part of the Live Free Academy program so that you can get started freelancing and land your first client in 30 days, 60 days, however long it takes you to go through the course and then start implementing. Again, you can see all the details at go.michaelaquinn.com forward slash academy or head to the show notes and click the link there. All right, back to the show. (laughs) How did you formulate words? I don't know. Oh my God. Like I think I am really good under pressure. I will say this. I, I do feel like I'm good under pressure. He introduced himself. He sat in the room for a little bit who really took, who was tasked with talking to, there was like six of us in the room. Her name was Valerie Jarrett. So she was a senior advisor for President Obama. And she wanted to just know our experiences as being a working mom, or we had some, I think there were two dads in the room, like what, what we dealt with and what we thought could change. And I had so much to say. And it was incredible to me that literally the leaders of the free world were listening to what I had to say about all of this turmoil I have felt for the last three years. So when I left there, all I kept thinking was if the White House could find this blog that I wasn't trying to build because I didn't have time, what if I tried? And then it became not only what if I tried, but who could I impact? Like what other moms are struggling like I am and feel like, you know, because I always knew I wanted to work. That was never a question. I never aspired to be a stay-at-home mom. I don't have the personality for it, but I definitely did want more time with, with my daughter. Like I, I felt like the favor was completely in work and not at all at home. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a balance. And I knew that the only way to get that was to pretty much create it myself. So I ended up quitting at that point. That was April of 2015. And I just went, I, I feel like in hindsight, 
it sounds kind of crazy because I accelerated this timeline so fast. I ended up quitting my corporate job of 11 years in January of 16. And I got a bridge job, which I call, it's like a work at home job, basically. It was in the same industry. And I did that from January to August of 16. And I spent those eight-ish months just really working on like a baseline foundation for what I had to do. Started getting my email list, everything in place that I should have done if I cared, (laughs) if I had the time when I was in corporate. And then in August of 16, I talked to my husband and I felt like I was on a cusp of if I take this full time, we're going to have a lull, a few months of a lull before I really will replace my income. But I was so confident that I could do it. And so he ended up getting a really great promotion at the same time. It just happened to work out. So I pulled the plug forever on my W-2 wages. And by February of 17, I had more than replaced my corporate salary. And now it's just this machine that I feel like a little bit got away from me. Wow. (laughs) It's been a crazy journey. That is incredible. So you you were blogging for, I just want to kind of recap because there is so much in that. You were (laughs) blogging kind of like as a hobby from 2013? Yes. 2013 through, I would say mid 2015, it was hobby. Okay. And then when did you go? What month, what year did you go to the White House? April 2015. And then when did you start monetizing or like planning? So I followed the Elite Blog Academy fr- framework. So the, the reason that worked for me was because the way the creator Ruth, she teaches in a very systematic way. So it's, mm-hmm. there's 12 units. And I think at the time when I took it, 36 assignments. So it's like, first you do this and then you do that. And because I'm such a type A, at heart, I'm a project planner. If you give me a plan, I can execute the the heck out of it. I'm just Mm -hmm. amazing with that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get ahead of myself. So Mm -hmm. while from January of 16, when I had quit my 11-year corporate job to work at home in the same industry, so I kept the paycheck, but just a little, like it wasn't work I was very passionate about, but it was work that was going to bridge that gap. In those eight months, I was really, I wasn't concerned about monetizing. I was concerned about the building blocks. I was concerned about getting my pillar content done, deciding on my brand, my colors, my logos. I changed into an LLC at that point. I wanted to get ahead of everything. I didn't want it to be like, okay, now you're something. And now you have to worry about all of the backend legal stuff and financial stuff. So I got a CPA. I did things a little bit different than what other people would do it because Mm -hmm. I was so determined that it was going to be something that I treated it as something from the very beginning when I decided that that's what it was going to be. And I think probably, I mean, when I look back in 2013, I wasn't treating it like a business. Therefore, it was not a business. And the second my mentality flipped about it, that this was going to replace my corporate income, which was at the time, my only goal, if I could replace my corporate income, to me, that was so crazy that you could do that with a blog. But now it's what I've come to realize is replacing a corporate income is like creating your own job for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I did that. I did that relatively fast. But once it surpasses that, then you got a business. Mm -hmm. Then it's like a whole different ballgame that you're dealing with. And it's incredible to me how fast that happened because really I would, I felt like it was my job when I quit for good in August of 2016. Through 2017, I got pregnant with my second because it took me five years to even consider having another because yeah. of my postpartum. And I was so determined to change my circumstances. I cut my work hours in half in 2017 because pregnancy and me are, we're not the most agreeable on the planet. Yeah. 
And I was just exhausted. And that was part of the why I didn't want to be in corporate for it either. I like wanted mm-hmm. to take afternoon naps while my daughter was in kindergarten. I was like, I'm doing that. But really, because blogging is really building blocks. And someone told me, a really good friend of mine, her name's Lena. She told me in mid-2016, so while I was building the foundation, not making money, and this stuck with me. And we talk about it today and still laugh. She's like, I'm so glad I was your mentor back then because now me and her are in similar positions. She told me the first $100 you make online will be the hardest. Your first 1000 will, to you, feel harder than that, actually. So that will actually be your hardest. But she's like, once you surpass making your first 1000 making your first 5000 is actually easier. And then once you get to 5,000 is your baseline going from 5,000 to 10,000 is even easier than that. I'm like, are you crazy? How could making 10,000 be easier than making a thousand? And she's like, because of momentum. Yeah. When you're building on top of each other and you get one revenue stream up and then you turn your focus to the next revenue stream, it's like having plates up in the air that can spin themselves. And that's truly, and it happens in hindsight, it happens faster than I could have imagined, but it also feels like, wow, that was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. And I mean, I can under, I can relate to like that first, you know, hundred dollars you make because at that point you're doing all of these things. You're working so hard and you're not seeing the fruits of it yet. Right. You're checking things off. You're, you're getting your logo. You're getting that stuff done, but it's like, what is this all for yet? And then I think that first paycheck, like that first for me, I got started in the online industry by doing service-based work. Um, so my first client, it took me like seven months to find my first client. The women in my program find their first client a lot faster. <laughs> but once I found that first client, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Someone paid me money to do these things and I've never met them. And then once you get that like that first client in the freelance space, it seems like the next one just comes and then they all of a sudden like dating, they just, once you, like when you're not dating anyone, this happened for my husband, <laughs> he, before we started dating, he like, no one's interested in me, whatever. And then we started talking and dating and then like people came out of the woodworks and were like, oh, <laughs> Colin. And I'm like, no, what is this? <laughs> So I think like clients is like dating. And that's how blogging is too. And the other thing is too, when you start blogging, you don't necessarily know who's going to resonate with you. So over the years, I've had haters. I've had lots of people that love what I say, but I would say probably the best advice I ever received was in late 2017 from another blogger, quite large. She's still quite much larger than I am at this point. And she believes in these polarizing, she calls them polarizing passion statements. Yeah. And nobody wants haters, okay? Because it can really mess with your confidence, right? And people can be really mean behind a computer screen. But her point was, when you create polarizing statements in your business, you're narrowing down the people who truly want to hear from you. Yeah. And you'll make such a bigger impact for those people. So like one of the things I said in an interview when I was very largely pregnant with my second, it was early 2018, I said, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom and I don't feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Like I let go of that guilt when my first was two and I haven't looked back. The amount of emails that I received from that statement, just that one statement in the middle of the interview that I didn't realize I said, because I was hugely pregnant and like ready to go into nesting and not wake up for a while. It was incredible to me that that statement resonated for so many people, because I mean, mom guilt, I would say I started blogging for working moms against guilt, which is another big working mom blog, when it was still a hobby. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was their whole, sh- whole spiel to, you know, we're not going to feel guilty by the fact that we want to work. And of course, I knew I resonated with that because I was blogging for them. But I was unwilling to accept saying that. Yeah. I still felt like something was wrong with me that I felt that way. Like, why don't yeah. I feel guilty that I want to work? And I just, I just don't. And mm-hmm. so many people feel that way. Now, there are other people that respond the exact opposite to my statement. Like, I'm a horrible mom. Why would you have kids? I've heard all of this. Mm. I've heard it. And you just have to, you have to find your people. And I got to the point, like now, very rarely do I give a cheeky response to someone. I Sometimes they get the best of me and I might give cheeky responses. But now I just hit the unsubscribe button for them at the end of the email. And we move about yeah, I'll get I don't get a ton of haters yet, but I don't think I've I'm really have polarizing content yet. But I'll get some like stop messaging me emails and I'm like <laughs> yeah. <"What?"> okay. <laughs> All right. I would love, Monica, if you could kind of dive into some of the differences between like hobby blogging versus business blogging. And maybe if you could touch on like, how do people actually make money from blogging? Because I think there's still a lot of people that are like, how do you even make money from blogging? How does that person on Instagram make money? Like the daily question I answer in my real real life. Yeah. <laughs> right to everyone you meet. Like, what are you? Because honestly, I say my husband is to the point where like, he doesn't really know what to say. He's like, she's a blogger and people roll their eyes and they're like, okay. And then he has to follow up and be like, well, she probably makes like four times what you do. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know (laughs) people will comment and be like, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a work at home mom. And some people will be like, oh, cute. Or some people will ask like, what do you do? And I'll say I'm, I'm an online course creator and they're like, Oh, like that's cute. Cute. Yes. That's what I get. So first of all, hobby versus business blog. And there's nothing wrong with either. In my, in my opinion, what a hobby blog is, is simply something that you're doing for fun. It, yeah. The intent is not to monetize it and to make money off of it. The intent is maybe, you know, like you have a, cr- a craft passion and you just want to blog about that or you know, it could be anything. So hobby blogger to me is what I was in the beginning. It was, I had this problem essentially, and I wanted to, I wanted a place to talk about it. And so I started blogging to talk about it. When you're a business blogger or when you're blogging for business, your intent is to make money. And mm-hmm. so what you're concerned about are revenue streams. So there's a ton of ways to make money blogging. I would say this is so easy to relate to real life because the number one thing people think, so we get past the whole, she's a blogger thing in real life. And then it's, oh, so you have ads on your site? No, I don't personally have ads on my site. Or it's, oh, so you write for brands? Nope. I don't like working for brands because it makes me feel like I'm working for someone, which is why I got out of corporate. Those are two very uh, reasonable ways for bloggers to make money. It Putting ads on your site and working with brands. And the, I know bloggers that make a very healthy income doing those two revenue streams. And I would say those are the most traditional ways to make money blogging. Mm -hmm. But really what blogging has turned into nowadays is a blog is the way people find you, but it's not really the way you make money in an online business. It's a vehicle for people to get to know you, find your content, and then to take an action. So for me, I'm very, very, very passionate about everything having a strong call to action. Very early on, I realized, because Pinterest, when I started, was still 
just giving Matt and it still does in a lot of ways, but massive amounts of free traffic. Whereas with Google, you, you're dealing with a pretty long uptick to get good Google traffic. With Pinterest, you could start in 2015, 2016, you could start a Pinterest business account and you could have been getting several thousands of page views within 30 to 60 days. I mean, it was crazy how fast you could do it. So of course I caught on to this, but the thing I kept saying was, but I don't understand why I care about someone reading a blog post for 30 seconds. So then I realized there's got to be something else that besides the fact you get ad revenue and I've had ads at times, ad revenue. Okay. That's great, but you don't control it. And by the way, when you get ad revenue, you're pushing people off of your platform. That's by nature what an ad is. They get an ad that's targeted towards them. That's all retargeting stuff based on their search history. They see it, they click it, they're off your site. Well, that's not helping me. Like, right. why would I want to do that? So I started focusing very heavily on my email list at this point, but there are other ways too. Like you can heavily monetize through affiliate marketing. So for different types of niches out there, like if you're starting a traditional mom blog and I, you know, there's a lot of like pregnancy, like newborn mom type blogs out there. Most of those blogs you're going to find have three revenues. They have their ad, they do do ads. They do sponsorships with places like Pampers and stuff like that. And they also do affiliate marketing. So like I have a blog post on my site that's the top 10 things second time moms need, which actually is ranking on Google now, which is crazy. That's so awesome. I don't really, I need to go back to focusing on Google. I've kind of got away with that for a while, but essentially it's all affiliate marketing driven, meaning that I say, okay, these are the 10 things that I recommend you get for your second baby. You click the link. You Most of the time it's Amazon. Sometimes it's other different places I'm sending you, but I get a commission, a kickback, right? For sending them traffic and for that purchase happening. But really, at the end of the day, all of these methods, you don't really own them, right? So like you can't control how many people click through ads on your site. And sponsorships, you have a little bit more control over, but a lot of that is still going to be based on the type of traffic you can drive to your site. So it's traffic dependent. So I wanted to own something. And I am a firm believer that everyone needs an email list. But if you think about it, how do you get people on your email list? So even if I know so many small businesses that don't have blogs, they don't see the point of it. And I'm like, because a blog helps you to educate people on what your service is or what you're selling. And then your call to action is to get on your email list where you can continue to talk to them about the product and the service you're offering. And once they're on your email list, sky's the limit. Then you can push more affiliate things to them and more products and services. And of course you're offering a lot of value. You're not just selling to them. Right. Absolutely. But honestly, I call myself almost at this stage, the anti-blogger. I start saying this, I'm a blogger who's an anti-blogger because I don't love writing blog posts. They're not my favorite thing in the world to do. And I don't feel like, I feel like once you build up a good content bank, that's evergreen. So not time sensitive material stuff. That's like timeless, essentially like the top 10 things I use as a second time mom, that's maybe gets updated once in a while, but ultimately like the, the things I use are not really going to change. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of content is what I prefer creating because I want to spend my time nurturing people who want to be following me and want to hear from me. And I do that through my email list. And then from there, a lot of bloggers create their own products and that's like a huge, and it doesn't have to be a physical product. It can be a digital product when we have, I mean, you teach people how to be service-based, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times service-based businesses start out they grow, they get, cause word of mouth is huge, both in blogging, online business and in, with VA work and all of that stuff. You get so many referrals that you, 
you grow to the point where you can't do it all on your own. And so you have to come up with systems. And usually when you come up with a system of how to do something, you can teach other people how to do it. And before you know, you have a product of your own, like a course or an ebook or whatever it is. And so when I'm talking about this, even like you can see the building blocks here, like you have to start somewhere. You have to figure out how to bring people in to your business. And you do that with your blog. Once you figure out who's, who's taking action on your content, who you're resonating with, then you can move on to something like emails. And then you can figure out from there, you know, I mean, like I said, like I got a ton of responses for that one statement I made, some negative, mostly positive. So instantly I know the type of people who are responding to me and want to hear from me. You create more content for what the people who already are following you want to hear, which then attracts more people like that. And then you take it to the next level. Like, what am I going to create to make money? Should I be sending people to this other thing that I can recommend that I can get a commission off of because I'm not ready to create it myself, or maybe I never want to create it myself. So the possibilities are just really with blogging are so endless. It's so encouraging in one way, but can be super overwhelming because you'll notice you get so many good ideas. Like I'll be doing something. I'll be like, that would make an awesome blog. I should do that. And I'll buy the domain name and not do anything with it because I don't have time. Absolutely. And then even when you're like trying to figure out how to monetize, you're like, I could do a course on this. I could do a course on that. I could do a course on this. That's when um, I don't consider myself a blogger. I have a blog, but for me, I consider myself more of an online course creator because that's how I make my money. And I use my blog and my podcast as a vehicle, like you said, to drive people to learn more about working from home and freelancing and how to get started. And then those that are really interested in it, then they get funneled to my course. But when I was getting started, and I think this is something so similar with people in every industry, is all of the overwhelming amount of ideas. Like I could have a course on this. I could teach people this. I could teach people that. In the beginning, I think you need to, Monica, and maybe you would agree with this, like pick that one thing and, and focus on that one thing first. Don't try to create 10 different courses at once. Don't try to create 10 different like freebies and opt-ins at once. Don't try to create 20 different products, but stick with the one thing first. Well, I have a lot to say about that. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. No, no. I made the mistake that you're talking about. And okay. In some ways, I think it can be a catch 22 because sometimes you do have to create to figure out what people will or will not buy. And sometimes you think you have a great idea and you create it and it's not a great idea. Or it's a mediocre idea. So I would say when you're getting started, of course, everyone who's getting started wants to skip steps. And that is like probably the most tempting thing and the most discouraging thing because you want to be where you see like your mentors are. And that's just unrealistic. You really do have to follow the path and make your own mistakes so you can figure things out. So I learned in some ways the hard way. So I'm like kind of in between. In some ways, I think... I like, I think I did too much. I created so many courses and I'm right in the midst of closing down almost every single course I created in the first two years because I was so eager to figure out what worked that I wasn't using enough discernment and I was spread way too thin. And also it's super hard for people to recommend you when you're not known for one thing, but it's also hard to know what your one thing is until you find it. So that's 22 here. So my thing happened to be, and it's so funny the way my thing happened, because when I look back, it's like, I could not have predicted what it would be. I could not have. And I'm so thankful to a few 
good friends in the blogging space that I have. And I recommend that you absolutely never look at your competition as competition and look at them as collaborators. Because if it wasn't for a few of these girls who literally have courses or had courses that were just like mine at the time, I would never have found my thing. So when I was entering my third trimester at the end of 2017, as I mentioned, I was driving a lot of traffic with Pinterest and I started dabbling in, well, not dabbling. I was using it pretty consistently in, in promoted pins, which is the ad platform for Pinterest. Yeah. And when they first launched was probably when I had just gotten into Pinterest. So a lot of bloggers who were already established on Pinterest had tried them early on and thought they were terrible. They're like, we wasted our money. We got no ROI out of it. Like, this is terrible. And by the time I picked them up, they had made some improvements. Not even, they made a lot in the last year, but even when I was just starting them, they had made enough improvements that I was seeing some really good results. So I start telling my blogging friends about it. And they kept saying, you need to create a course on this. Like you are so passionate about this. And you think about this in a way that nobody else talks about. You need to create a course. I'm like, I'm having a baby. I am not doing that. Because PS at this time, I had already done like maybe seven courses and none of them I feel like had taken off to a point where it'd be worth putting all that effort in, in my third trimester to create another one. Yeah. So they kept bugging me. And finally I was like, I'll create this course, but it's going to be super simple and nobody's going to want it. <laughs> like that was my attitude going in. And I ended up getting 20 students in a beta group. And because I'm, I mentioned I'm a project planner at heart, once I committed to it, there was no way I was not going to do it because that's just how my mind works. So in like five weeks over November, December in 2017, with these 20 students, I create this beta course. And it went super well. It turned out they were right that I like definitely was passionate about this. Well, I launched it in January of 2018. And then immediately in February of 2018, like basically closed down to prepare for the baby. I was canceled everything on my calendar. It was all about setting up, you know, my emails to go out while I was, because I wanted to take an eight week maternity leave without touching the business at all. Well, what happened was something I couldn't have predicted, which was it got so much word of mouth that when I, so here I am, like I had a fairly decent launch in that January, but still I did not push like I could have because I still was skeptical. Like I've kind of been here, done this, like I've done the course launches. Like I'm, I'm never going to be like a six figure course launcher, but the people who were emailing me while I'm trying to have this baby were like, <laughs> can you let me in your course? Like I've heard such great things about it. I'm like, well, I'm having a baby like right now. I don't, I don't know. So I ended up having the baby. And then a few weeks after she was born, my husband said, why don't you just take a day and open the cart, send a couple emails and let all these people that have been emailing you have a chance to buy it. And I was like, okay, well, okay. (laughs) I mean, that was the best decision I ever made because by let's see, by October. So from January of 08 or January of 18 to October of 18, the course made over six figures. Wow. And I was like, this is insane. And I had a baby in March of 18. And I seriously believe for myself that having a baby is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. So for those two things to happen at the same time is like completely mind blowing. And what a different experience from coming back into corporate and feeling like my life was falling apart 
I hadn't, and I have so much more time with my kids. That's the crazy part when people are like, oh, you don't want to be a stay at home mom. Like you don't want to be with your kids. You're not guilty about it. It's like, no, you don't understand. I'm with my kids so much more than I ever was when I was in corporate. Like I, my, I have a nanny. She's here 25 hours a week and I see my baby all day long. We have, I can go have lunch downstairs with her. I can rock her to sleep on her nap time. Like all the things I couldn't do the first time. And I created a course that paid off all of our credit card debt. I mean, it's just like completely insane that when you find your thing, it can just totally change your life. But it takes some time to get there. Like that didn't happen. I put the blog up in 2013. I could not have predicted in 2018, I was going to find my thing. And I would have thought, well, that's a long time. But in reality, it actually wasn't that long. Right. And I want to dive into more of some of the like the nitty gritty of like the possibilities of the income from this, from blogging and from being an online course creator and online business. Because I think one thing that you mentioned that really stood out to me in your Facebook group was how there's a lot of different feedback on sharing income reports and how much money I'm making. And some people do it it, and it seems flashy and like braggadocious. And then some people share it and then other people get like, oh, that's not fair. Like I'll never be there. And that's discouraging. I find it super empowering to see what other people are able to do and see the facts. Like I follow Amy Porterfield as someone I look really I really look up to her in the online course creation space and when she shared her income goal of making what is it she wants to make like is it it's either like 5 or 10 or 8 million something I think incredible it's seven this year like 7 million okay. I think that's what she said yeah and I see that and I'm like oh my god that is incredible <laughs> yep and to me it's so empowering and her being able to and willing to share like how she's getting there and all of that i think that is amazing and you talked about how when we don't share some of this stuff it prevents other women from being able to see their potential and see the opportunity and how when we lift each other up and we all are open and honest the tide rises for all of us yes i just love that so i wanted to see if you could maybe shed some light on what the income possibility is for where you are at in your blogging career now. Yeah. Okay. So on the topic of women sharing what they're making, that that was posted to my Facebook group. And the reason that came about was I have a love-hate relationship to some degree with income reports because I don't feel like all of them are portraying the truth. I mean, they're not focusing on the numbers. Like there's a lot that goes into running a business. Like, Mm. you know, your revenue is people will say, I made $10,000 this month, but really they brought 1500 of that into the family. Those are right. vastly different numbers and give people a false impression. So uh, my MBA is in finance. And so I'm well-versed on numbers and that always irritated me. But what happened in December, a couple months ago, I was with a friend that I worked with in corporate and she's a very, me and her are very, bl- we're blunt friends. We call each other. Like we just say it how it is. Like when we're talking. And she said, you're very comfortable talking about what you make in your business. And I was like, I am. And here's why. When, I, when we were in corporate together, I was in many boardroom meetings. And I'll tell you, men had no problem talking about money. They didn't view it as like a topic that was off limits. It was, I mean, literally they would talk about like, look what I bought. And they'd show it off to each other. And then they'd be in like, they'd compete with each other to do better. But by talking about it, essentially what would happen is they would have an open dialogue about how the money is even made, Mm -hmm. right? 
Like, how do you make $200,000 online? If nobody's talking about it and you've never done it, how do you figure it out? Men have no problem talking about this stuff. So she said, she made that comment to me. She's like, you have no problem talking about what you make. I go, absolutely not. Because I want every mother, every woman out there to be able to do what I do and to Mm -hmm. be able to get that kind of freedom that I felt like I so desperately was missing from like the balance. Like they say, there's no such thing as balance between work and home. And trust me, I struggle with it all the time, but it's, I found a way that was much better for me than corporate. And the only way for me to help other women to do the same is to talk about the realities of that. Yeah. And it really does rise the tide for everyone. So one of the things I've realized coming into 2019 was doing all this stuff that I did in 2018 with having a baby and creating a course that people actually wanted to buy is I had a little bit of burnout. Like I didn't really take the time to process having a new baby. In some ways I was dealing with postpartum by avoiding the fact that I had a new baby by working. And my sweet baby got RSV in early January, which was in the midst of me being in a big launch. I was launching the course for the first time, like on a big launch since it was created. My husband was traveling. I was super stressed out. And I kept saying, I just need to get through this launch because this launch is going to fund, like uh, my plan was for it to fund the first quarter of the business. So I pushed through lack of sleep. She got me sick. And then after I kind of crashed. So like February of 19, I just was like, I need a break. And what I started to realize was it's very easy to get wrapped up in the more mentality. You need more money. You need to grow your team. Like I hear that at my stage, I, my CPA looks at my profit loss statement and says, you don't have anyone helping you. Like I have an assistant. She's up to like 40 hours a month for me right now. But with at my income level and my profit level, he's like, I, I'm just astounded by the fact that you don't have anyone on your team. Because here's the thing, hiring people is just one more responsibility. Yeah. And there's really nothing wrong with being, with growing a, a small, strong, profitable business that doesn't, I don't need it right now with my kids being young. I've finally come to terms with the fact I don't need my business revenue to be a million dollars. If I can keep myself small and lean doing what I love, then I can make a very healthy bring home into the family six figures and that's fine. And I still get time with my kids. So really the, the, the message here is like that the sky's the limit. Cause I'm, I'm confident that right now, if I wanted to grow a million dollar business in 2019, I could do it. I have the know-how at this point. I have a following that if I put my head down, hired some people to help me, I could get there but I don't want that stress right now. I want to take some time with my second child that, you know, I feel like I didn't get a lot of time with last year and just be appreciative for where, where I've come because I never stopped to really appreciate all that I've done in the last few years. I'm always thinking I have to do more. It's like, but where does more get you except more stress sometimes, you know? Right. Right. See, I, I want to grow. I'm not at that million dollar level yet, but I am in the like, I have all of these things I want to do and all of these things that I want to do to help other moms, but I don't want to work. I want to work 25 hours a week too. Mm -hmm. So I've gone the grow my team route, but we're still, I need to go look at all of the numbers from 2018, but where I use profit first, I don't know if you are familiar with profit first, Uh, but I try to do that because I 
I want to pay my business. Like paying my family is my first priority of having a business. I don't want to just spend money to spend money to grow a business and then not pay myself. Same. Because that was not the point of why we started, right? Absolutely. Right. Like the whole point of me doing this was so that I could see my kids more and provide the same income that I was when I was in corporate. So once I hit that, the way I started seeing was it was all gravy. Once I hit my corporate income into the family, everything else was like an extra bonus. And now I'm to the point, I'm super ambitious and I literally have a million ideas that I want to execute on right now. I'm just trying super hard to be intentional with knowing how I work, knowing that growing a team is not my expertise. So it's going to be a stressful endeavor for me. So I I would prefer for my kids to be, well, at least my youngest, to be a little bit older so that I have a little bit more time at that point. Like once my oldest went to kindergarten, I couldn't believe how much time I felt like I had. I'm like, what? This is like, this is amazing, right? Right. And And I know it happens sooner. Now I have the wisdom to know that that happens sooner than later. Like before she went to kindergarten, it felt like I was going to have a little kid forever. And now it's like, whoa, I can't believe how fast they grow. And I, so I know that's going to happen with my little one. So I just want to take the next like year or two to temper my growth, still be highly profitable. Yeah. But more simplify. Like I'm closing down a bunch of my courses, you know, and I'm focusing. I really truly believe in the the 80-20 rule that where 20% of my effort made 80% of my profits is so true. So I'm just trying to put more focus on that 20% and spending more time there to grow my profits that way. Yeah. You put out this massive email about your the epic review of 2018. Would you be comfortable sharing some of those? I know you're not comfortable sharing exact numbers, but sharing some of those percentages to kind of show us because you're doing really good. So yeah, and the reason I don't share exact numbers, like if I with my friend that I was telling you about, I'll share real numbers with people in my personal life. But the reason I don't publish it online is because People are crazy sometimes. And like I've said, I've, I've make polarizing statements. And because of that, I have to be, I have kids and I have to be cautious with what I invite into my life. Right. So that's just the reason I don't. And plus my lawyer actually advised against it too. They're like, you don't really want to do that. Like you don't want to put exact numbers on the internet. So I don't, (laughs) but I do share percentages and I give like round about figures. So like, you know where I'm falling. So I made under 500 K last year, just to give an idea, but multiple six figures. So, you know, there's a range here that we're in and roughly half of that went to expenses to run the business. And it was a really enlightening exercise because I can, I could easily have gotten that down to 35, 30% expenses if I had used a little bit more discernment, but sometimes I, you know, I was trying new things, trying new marketing tactics and stuff. I invested more than I probably should have in education that I didn't finish, like different courses that I didn't end up finishing. And then I probably should have spent a little bit more on having an assistant because I do have an assistant. She answers my emails and stuff like that. So I I have upped her hours since looking at that. So 50% off the top went to expenses. And then where the big misunderstanding happens a lot in this world is my business expenses are deductible, right? And I also became an S corp, which is a way to save money on taxes. Essentially you put yourself as a business owner on payroll and then that means that you pay the employer and the employee part of payroll tax and the remaining profit in your business 
is tax. It still passes through to your to your taxes, except you don't have to play the employer part, which really is Social Security and Medicaid. So your employer pays if you worked a regular W two job. Your employer pays half of that. So on my profit that flows through after my payroll, I don't pay that por- portion. And when you hit a certain income level, this can be substantial. So off of my total revenue, tax is equated about twelve point five percent, which sounds pretty low but it's because I already deducted my business expenses. Yeah. And then 30, I think it was like 37 and a half, 38% ish, 37 and a half, I think is what it was, was profit brought into the family. Like money we could actually go and spend out in the real world. To me, I feel like I, I operate pretty profitably. There's always room for improvement, but also like my husband has a corporate job. So that puts us in a higher tax bracket as well. And there's other things that we have to consider, but I was very, very happy with where I ended up with, and I wasn't really keeping track through 2018 as I should have because I was so crazy busy. Um, right. So the profit first is something that I'm go- I'm going to be implementing for Q2. So I'm excited. I love it, and I had someone give me a a calculator. So everything goes into my income account. I just take the number, put it in my Google spreadsheet. And then it says, okay, send this much to your family, send this much to your expenses. And I think it's a great way to operate a online business. How much does profit first say that you should allocate to expenses? I can't remember the percentage. 30%. Okay. So I was definitely like, and the crazy part to me is I was over I mean, I acknowledge I didn't want to be that high, but also because I didn't have a team, which usually is the number one overhead tells me that I was spending too much. And it wasn't even because I run a Pinterest ads course, people assumed that I was in advertising and it wasn't. I think advertising was only 7% of that. It was really programs and stuff, which at this point, it's like, you always feel like you need to learn a new skill, but I know what I need to do at this point. I just need to do it. Right, right. Team is my biggest expense. And then I also spend on courses because it, like I love learning and it's fun. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to see how she does it. And then it's like, I didn't need to spend that $700. And so that's one of my team members' job is to track my expenses, track the profit and be like, hey, Michaela, stop buying courses. How many team members do you have? I have Mackenzie. She does online business management and tech and Pinterest. I have Lauren does podcast. Sarah does pitching and community management. Deanna does VA and email management. And Kimberly does some content writing and copywriting help. Well, speaking of how I don't need more courses, if you do come out with a course about how to grow a team, I probably would buy it because this is a skill that I need help with. <laughs> I mean, we can talk. I don't know that I'm the best to, to teach that. But I don't think I'm coming out with that course, but I do want to help people grow their teams and know how to hire and who to hire because that helps the women in my course. We have a higher form and I think I've, my business has grown dramatically. Like One of my big goals is to make my teacher income, which was $38,000, roughly around that in one month as an online business owner. That's my like impossible goal that I set back in October, which I'm going to hit probably April, May-ish, which is crazy to me. So amazing. But I've done it because I've grown my team, being able to work just that 25 hours. 
But this is getting so long. I could seriously talk to you for hours about this, Monica, but I want to kind of wrap up for those who are in the freelance space and those who are either in the blogging space, you have a course, your pin promotions, pin practical ads course that could either help a blogger generate that traffic and boost their boost their income or help a freelancer boost their revenue from offering a higher level service that is in demand because you you mentioned not a lot of people know Pinterest ads and are doing it like you don't have people that you can refer to so this is a huge huge i mean it is a wide open space to be filled if, if you ever heard the concept between the blue ocean and the red ocean, red ocean means you have a ton of competition in a blue ocean, which is essentially what I fell into with the course. So I'm teaching people how to DIY their own Pinterest ads. I'm teaching e-commerce owners, uh, shop owners, service-based people. Me, I'm yeah. in your course. Yeah, digital, digital course creators. I'm teaching them how to DIY their own ads. And so by the nature of that, I get a ton of requests for, will you manage my Pinterest ads? Well, for me, because my attention is on my students, you would have to have quite a large marketing budget to be able to afford me, which means we're talking people who are in the seven figure range, not the average blogger or freelancer. So I need people to recommend and there is really not anybody that does Pinterest ads. So I feel like I'm sitting on a gold mine with nowhere to, to put it. So anytime someone says to me, can I take your course to learn how to do Pinterest ads and run them for other people? I'm like, please do. Like do I... I would love you to do that, get really good at it. And plus then I'd feel confident recommending you because you're, you're running ads in the way I teach. So I know that they work. So I'd be confident recommending you. It's an absolute value add because there's organic Pinterest. So getting free Pinterest traffic, first of all, over time, that becomes less and less effective. The bigger a platform gets, the more noise there is and the less organic traffic you can drive. Plus Pinterest is attempting to go public, which means they're going to have a much higher focus on their ads platform. And with all of that, there's a lot of Pinterest managers already out there. There just are. And it's, it's a fun one. I did Pinterest management before I started teaching others. I loved it. It was so fun. It is. I mean, it's, I did it two-ish years ago. And people, my husband then would tell people, well, she gets paid to, to pin on Pinterest. People are like, what? That's a thing. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> and so, but now you can get paid to run people's ads. And here's the thing. And I'm sure you can relate because you've done Pinterest management before. When you're running someone's Pinterest organic strategy, there's only so much you can report back for metrics. You can say, hey, this month you grew your traffic X. Fabulous. That's like your metric, really. With ads, we're in a whole different ballgame. You can show data, not just on the clicks, but that they made money that this is how many email addresses you got at this much money. This is how many sales you got. And this is how much money your ads made. And so now you're providing a ROI value to your, your customer. And guess what? When you can make your customer money, they will pay you more. So we're right. talking about a premium service here that nobody else is doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Come and do it so I can recommend you. <laughs> so if someone was going, you know, from Pinterest manager, maybe their package is like around $500 a month for a basic Pinterest package. What would a basic ad package look like? So the thing about Pinterest ads is it depends on their budget. So mm -hmm. in the course, I teach DIYers that you have to have at least $5 a day. And that's like the, 
absolute bare minimum. You're going to want to see results. So for someone, because you, it's a little different than organic because you have to have the person account for their ad spend plus your fee. So I would set a flat fee on the campaign level. So it's not like I'm going to do this every month. It's more like we're going to run this campaign for X amount of dates and then make them commit to a budget that you can spend. And I would probably, if I was doing it, depending if you're working with clients that are more like in the six figure level, I would do a percentage of their ad spend plus a flat fee. So I do think it's going to be a little bit more discernment based on what level that they're at, right? Because the service should cost more than running an organic Pinterest strategy. It should, because you're giving them more value, but it's going to be an education. Learning curve. Learning curve. Thank you. Yes. Because people with Pinterest ads, this is new for a lot of people out there to have, especially if you're talking about working with other small businesses or bloggers, it's an education curve for them to understand the value of it. So that a little bit of that goes into it as well. Honestly, to get started, I would do it with, for current Pinterest managers, I would do it as an add-on service to their current service. And I wouldn't charge a whole ton for it in the beginning. I would show them the, the benefits of it, but make it very clear that... You're beta testing this service. Yeah. You're yeah. doing it kind of as a service to them to learn this skill, to help them. And as you're learning, you're going to charge them less. Exactly. And be very clear that like your fee will be going up, but you're, you're going to show them first the value of it. And that's a good way to, to win the client loyalty as well. So there's like, I think we're going to see in the next year, this, the tides start to turn with Pinterest managers realizing that they can't show as much ROI for traffic growth and they're going to have to learn a new skill. So I'm a big proponent that early adopters win. Like anytime you can be an early adopter. I say that all the time in my own marketing for the course. It's guys like this is still new. This is new enough that if you get on this bandwagon now, you're positioned to understand it before everyone else. So every time Pinterest makes a change, you already understand the baseline. You just have to understand the change. Whereas people are going to come in when it's more complicated and have to learn it from the ground up. You're just better positioned. So it's like, it's a ripe opportunity out there right now. And you have a free mini course that we'll link to in the show notes that people can kind of take and go through to learn, learn a little bit more and see if this is something that they would want to invest in becoming that expert that go to in. Yes, it's a pin practical ads and you can find it at redefiningmom.com forward slash ads ADS. Okay, awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And Monica, thank you so much for coming on and I know we went over and I know this is a long episode, guys, but I think this was an awesome one to see, you know, once you get started freelancing or if you don't want to get started freelancing and going into blogging, just another option out there to create that balance for you and, you know, what you want your balance to look like as a mom and as someone who has skills and talents and who wants to make an impact on the world. So Monica, thank you so much for for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Now, just because the episode is over doesn't mean the knowledge party has to stop. Come hang out with me and thousands of other mamas in my free Facebook group. Just search Facebook for the Live Free Podcast Mastermind with Michaela Quinn or go to the show notes. We have it linked there. And make sure you answer the questions so our gatekeeper knows that you want in. 
And don't forget, sharing is caring. If you are loving this podcast, please take a moment to share it with your friends. But make sure you tag me at Michaela.Quinn on Instagram and at Michaela Quinn on Facebook. See you next week.